Chapter thirty one of Beatrice by Henry Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty one The Duchess's Ball. Geoffrey reached town a little before eleven o'clock that night, a haunted man, haunted for life by a vision of that face still lovely in death, floating alone upon the deep, and companioned only by the screaming muse, or perchance now sinking or sunk to an unfathomable grave. Well might such a vision haunt a man the man whom alone of all men those cold lips had kissed, and for those whose dear sake this dreadful thing was done. He took a cab directing the driver to go to Bolton Street, and had to stop at his club as he passed. There might be letters for him there, he thought, something which would distract his mind a little. As it chanced, there was a letter marked private, and a telegram. Both had been delivered that evening, the porter said, the former about an hour ago by hand. Idly he opened the telegram. It was from his lawyer's, your cousin, the child, George Bingham, is, as we have just heard, dead. Please call on us early tomorrow morning. He started a little, for this meant a good deal to Geoffrey. It meant a baronetcy, and eight thousand a year, more or less. How delighted Honoria would be, he thought with a sad smile. The loss of that large income had always been a bitter pill to her, and one which she had made him swallow again and again. Well, there it was. Poor boy, he had always been ailing, an old man's child. He put the telegram in his pocket and got into the hansom again. There was a lamp in it, and by its light he read the letter. It was from the Prime Minister, and ran thus. My dear Bingham, I have not seen you since Monday to thank you for the magnificent speech you made on that night. Allow me to add my congratulations to those of everybody else. As you know, the under-secretaryship of the Home Office is vacant. On behalf of my colleagues and myself, I write to ask if you will consent to fill it for a time for we do not in any way consider that the post is one commensurate with your abilities. It will, however, serve to give you practical experience of administration, and does the advantage of your great talents to an even larger extent than we now enjoy. For the future, it must of course take care of itself, but as you know, sir, Blank's health is not all that could be desired, and the other day he told me that it was doubtful if he would be able to carry on the duties of the Attorney-Generalship for very much longer. In view of this contingency, I venture to suggest that you would do well to apply for silk as soon as possible. I have spoken to the Lord Chancellor about it, and he says that there will be no difficulty, as although you have only been in active practice for so short a while, you have a good many years standing as a barrister. Or if this prospect does not please, doubtless some other opening to the Cabinet can be found in time. The fact is that we cannot in our own interest overlook you for long. Geoffrey smiled again as he finished this letter. Who could have believed a year ago that he would have been to-day in a position to receive such an epistle from the Prime Minister of England? Ah, here was the look of the drowned one's shoe with a vengeance, and what was it all worth to him now? He put the letter in his pocket with the telegram and looked out. They were turning into Bolton Street. How was little Effie, he wondered. The child seemed all that was left him to care for. If anything happened to her, bah, he would not think of it. He was there now. How is Miss Effie? he asked of the servant who opened the door. At that moment his attention was attracted by the dim forms of two people, a man and a woman, who were standing not far from the area gate, the man with his arm around the woman's waist. Suddenly the woman appeared to catch sight of the cab and retired swiftly down the area. It crossed his mind that her figure was very like that of Anne, the French nurse. Miss Effie is doing nicely, sir, I'm told, answered the man. Geoffrey breathed more freely. "'Where is her ladyship?' he asked. "'In Effie's room?' "'No, sir,' answered the man. "'Her ladyship has gone to a ball. "'She left this note for you in case you should come in.' 
he took the note from the hall table and opened it dear geoffrey it ran effie is so much better that i have made up my mind to go to the duchess's ball after all she would be so disappointed if i did not come and my dress is quite lovely had your mysterious business anything to do with bringelli yours honoria she would go on to a ball from her mother's funeral said geoffrey to himself as he walked up to effie's room well it is her nature and there's an end to it he knocked at the door of effie's room there was no answer so he walked in the room was lit but empty no not quite on the floor clothed only in her white nightshirt lay his little daughter to all appearance dead with something like an oath he sprang to her and lifted her the face was pale and small hands were cold but the breast was still hot and fevered and the heart beat a glance showed him what had happened the child being left alone and feeling thirsty had got out of bed and gone to the water bottle there was the tumbler on the floor then weakness had overcome her and she had fainted fainted upon the cold floor with the inflammation still on her at that moment anne entered the room sweetly murmuring ça va bien chérie help me to put the child into bed said geoffrey sternly now ring the bell ring it again ah now woman go leave this house at once this very night you hear me no don't stop to argue look here if that child dies i will prosecute you for manslaughter yes i saw you in the street and he took a step towards her then anne fled and her face was seen no more in bolton street or indeed in this country james said geoffrey to the servant send the cook up here she is a sensible woman and do you take a hansom and drive to the doctor and tell him to come here at once and if you cannot find him go for another doctor then go to the nurse's home near st james's station and get a trained nurse tell them one must be had from somewhere instantly yes sir and shall i call for her ladyship at the duchess's sir no he answered frowning heavily do not disturb her ladyship go now that settles it said geoffrey as the man went whatever happens honoria and i must part i have done with her he had indeed though not in the way he meant it would have been well for honoria if her husband's contempt had not prevented him from summoning her from her pleasure the cook came up and between them they brought the child back to life she opened her eyes and smiled is that you daddy she whispered or do i dreams yes dear it is i where has you been daddy to see auntie beatrice yes love he said with a gasp oh daddy my head do feel funny but i don't mind now you is come back you won't go away no more will you daddy no dear no more after that she began to wander a little and finally dropped into a troubled sleep within half an hour both the doctor and the nurse arrived the former listened to geoffrey's tale and examined the child she may pull through it he said she has got a capital constitution but i'll tell you what it is if she had lain another five minutes in that draught there would have been an end of her you came in the nick of time and now if i were you i should go to bed you can do no good here and you look dreadfully ill yourself but geoffrey shook his head he said he would go downstairs and smoke a pipe he did not want to go to bed at present he was too tired meanwhile the ball went merrily lady honoria never enjoyed herself more in her life she revelled in the luxurious gaiety around her like a butterfly in the sunshine how good it all was the flash of diamonds the odour of costly flowers the homage of well-bred men the envy of other women oh it was a delightful world after all that is when one did not have to exist in a flat near the edgware road but heaven be praised thanks to geoffrey's talents there was an end of flats and misery after all he was not a bad sort of husband though in many ways a perfect mystery to her as for his little weakness for the welsh girl really provided that there was no scandal she did not care twopence about it 
"'Yes, I am so glad you admire it. "'I think it is rather a nice dress. "'But then I always say that nobody in London "'can make a dress like Madame Jules. "'Oh, no, Geoffrey did not choose it. "'He thinks of other things.' "'Well, I'm sure you ought to be proud of him, Lady Honoria,' said the handsome guardsman to whom she was talking. "'They say at mess that he is one of the cleverest men in England. "'I only wish I had a fiftieth part of his brains.' "'Oh, please do not become clever, Lord Atley. "'Please don't, or I shall really give you up. "'Cleverness is all very well, but it isn't everything, you know.' "'Yes, I will dance if you like, but you must go slowly. "'To be quite honest, I am afraid of tearing my lace in this crush.' "'Why, I declare there is Garsington, my brother, you know,' and she pointed to a small red-haired man who was elbowing his way towards them. "'I wonder what he wants. It is not at all in his line to come to balls. You know him, don't you? He's always racing horses like you.' But the guardsman had vanished. For reasons of his own, he did not wish to meet Garsington. Perhaps he too had been a member of a certain club. "'Oh, there you are, Honoria,' said her brother. "'I thought that I should be sure to find you somewhere in this beastly squash.' "'Look here, I have something to tell you.' "'Good news or bad,' said Lady Honoria, playing with her fan. "'If it is bad, keep it, for I am enjoying myself very much, "'and I don't want my evening spoilt. "'Trust you for that, Honoria. "'But look here, it's jolly good, "'about as good as can be for that prig of a husband of yours. "'What do you think? "'That brat of a boy, the son of old Sir Robert Bingham, "'and the cook or someone, you know, is... "'Not dead, not dead,' said Honoria, in deep agitation. "'Dead as ditch-water,' replied his lordship.' i heard it at the club there was a lawyer fellow there dining with somebody there and they got talking about bingham when the lawyer said oh he's sir geoffrey bingham now old sir robert's heir is dead i saw the telegram myself oh this is almost too good to be true said honoria why it means eight thousand a year to us i told you it was pretty good said her brother you ought to stand me a commission out of the swag at any rate let's go and drink to the news come on it is time for supper and i am awfully done i must screw myself up lady honoria took his arm as they walked down the wide flower-hung stair they met a very great person indeed coming up ah lady honoria said the great person i have something to say that will please you i think and he bent towards her and spoke very low then with a little bow passed on what is the old boy talking about asked her brother why what do you think we are in luck's way to-night he says that they are offering geoffrey the under-secretaryship of the home office he'll be a bigger prig than ever now growled lord garsington yes it is luck though let us hope it won't turn they sat down to supper and lord garsington who had already been dining helped himself pretty freely to champagne before them was a silver candelabra and on each of the candles was fixed a little painted paper shade one of them got wrong and a footman tried to reach over lord garsington's head to put it straight i'll do it said he no no let the man said lady honoria look it is going to catch fire nonsense he answered rising solemnly and reaching his arm towards the shade as he touched it it caught fire indeed by touching it he caused it to catch fire he seized hold of it and made an effort to put it out but it burnt his fingers curse the thing he said aloud and threw it away from him it fell flaming in his sister's dress among the thickest of the filmy laces they caught and instantly two wreathing snakes of fire shot up her she sprang from her seat and rushed screaming down the room an awful mass of flame in ten more minutes lady honoria had left this world and its pleasures to those who still lived to taste them an hour passed geoffrey still sat brooding heavily over his pipe in the study in bolton street and waiting for honoria when a knock came to his door the servants had all gone to bed all except the sick nurse he rose and opened it himself a little red-haired pale-faced man staggered in 
why garsington is it you what do you want at this hour screw yourself up bingham i've something to tell you he answered in a thick voice what is it another disaster i suppose is somebody else dead yes somebody is honoria's dead burnt to death at the ball great god honoria burnt to death i'd better go i advise you not bingham i wouldn't go to the hospital if i were you screw yourself up and if you can give me something to drink i'm about done i must screw myself up and here we may leave this most fortunate and gifted man farewell to geoffrey bingham thus then did these human atoms work out their destinies these little grains of animated dust blown hither and thither by a breath which came they knew not whence if there be any malicious principle among the powers around us that deigns to find amusement in the futile vagaries of man well might it laugh and laugh again at the great results of all this scheming of all these desires loves and hates and if there be any pitiful principle well might it sigh over the infinite pathos of human helplessness owen davis lost in his own passion geoffrey crowned with prosperity and haunted by undying sorrow honoria perishing wretchedly in her hour of satisfied ambition beatrice sacrificing herself in love and blindness and thereby casting out her joy oh if she had been content to humbly trust in the providence above her if she had but left that deed undared for one short week but geoffrey still lived and the child recovered after hanging for a while between life and death and was left to comfort him may she survive to be a happy wife and mother living under conditions more favourable to her well-being than those which trampled out the life of that mistaken woman the ill-starred great-souled beatrice and broke her father's heart say what are we we are but arrows winged with fears and shot from darkness into darkness we are blind leaders of the blind aimless beaters of this wintry air lost travellers by many stony paths ending in one end tell us you who have outworn the common tragedy and passed the narrow way what lies beyond its gate you are dumb or we cannot hear you speak but beatrice knows to-day end of chapter thirty one end of beatrice by henry rider haggard